0: Hey everyone! Welcome to the El Blanco Gigante podcast. In this episode, I talked to Brian Schaffrin, who's the program director of MotoGo and the owner of Skidmark Garage. So, I'd like to welcome Brian Schaffren. Uh He's the program director from MotoGo and the owner of Skidmark Garage. Brian, welcome.
1: Thanks.
0: What's going on? Well, you know, I like I was talking about a little bit. Uh, you know, I just really want to talk to people that are doing really cool stuff. And I think what you're doing with trying to bring, uh, you know, shop back, uh, is really cool. And then what you're doing with the, uh, DIY, uh, garage here in Cleveland is, uh, you know, great for the community and, uh, helping people learn how to do things on their own. So why don't you tell me a little bit about both of those?
1: Uh, so Skidmark garage is the DIY, uh, motorcycle garage. And that is, it operates kind of like a gym, for those of you that, for for anyone that's not familiar with a community access motorcycle garage, which most people are not, uh, it's kind of like a gym, you pay a membership fee, and then you get access to all the tools, and there are 13 bays of tools, and probably 15 or 16 lifts, and so pay a membership for a month and you can bring your bike in and leave it there for the month and then come and go as you please and use all the tools to fix your bike you don't have any mechanics there nobody fixes anything for you Um, we've got all the specialty tools all the welders there's people giving tutorials there's classes you can take on basic maintenance there's welding classes we've got all the sandblasters there's a lounge where we have concerts there's you know, little events happening here and there, but it's it's become quite the community of, of people helping each other out and teaching each other how to fix stuff. And uh, You know, it's pretty difficult to find a mechanic that will work on a vintage motorcycle these days. A dealership that you bought the bike from 15 years ago won't touch it any longer. And there's only a, a select few mechanics in the city that, I would trust with my bike, and I send people to them all the time, uh, and they, in turn, send people to me. There's a lot of people that come to those mechanics and say, hey, I need this, this, and this fixed. Can I stand over your shoulder and watch you? And they're like, no, that's absolutely not, but if you want to do that, go to Skidmark Garage. So, it's a pretty cool symbiotic relationship that we have with these couple mechanics. Uh,
0: so is a lot of it word of mouth? Um, so it's, you know, people who come do the workshops and start working on their bikes, start telling all their friends, and then they bring other folks?
1: That's a lot of it, but uh, there's strangely there's been a lot of response from Instagram. Um, it's not like we have an absolute shit ton of followers, but for some reason the Instagram, <clears throat> the, the people that come in and join... When I asked them how they heard of us, one of the things they always say is, oh, I've been following you on Instagram for a year or two. I'm like, well, that's, A, that's weird because it's, I don't know, you just never see these people that say this. They don't respond to anything. They don't reply. They don't comment. All of a sudden they just show up and they become this awesome member of the garage that seemingly came out of the blue. But... uh how they find us on Instagram in the first place is what I don't understand.
0: Well, in, in transparency, I've uh I found you on Instagram and I found you on Twitter I believe as well. Um yeah. so I I heard about you first from Instagram and I started seeing what you guys were doing with uh Skidmark and then I recently noticed that you guys were also doing stuff with MotoGo and um that's how I found about about you and uh I don't know whatever you're doing for uh your uh uh advertising on Instagram it, it's working really well.
1: <laughs> well, thanks. We actually have this uh, just recently graduated um, Magnificat graduate that's kind of interning. She wants to be a marketing person in college, you know, wants to go to marketing major. And so she's kind of helping us out and really spearheading what we do on Instagram. And it's been fantastic. Uh, as far as MotoGo Go is concerned, after Skidmark kind of... Was able to stand on its own two feet. Uh, I decided that it would be time to bring that spirit of do-it-yourself back to schools. And I, I was a high school teacher before I opened Skidmark Garage. And at one point, I found out that the students I worked with, none of them had ever used any tools before. They didn't know how to fix things, and uh, and I thought that was really unfortunate. Mm-hmm. And With shop class being kind of decimated across at least Ohio, probably the rest of the country also, I kind of felt like it was a good idea to bring shop class back and instead of it being build a birdhouse or fix a lawnmower, which are decent skills to have in their own right,
0: I thought it would be more attractive if we said, let's rebuild the
1: motorcycle and what student doesn't want to do something like rebuild a motorcycle? So
0: yeah. I
1: kind of figured that, that hook, that would be the the key. And we've had lots of schools signing up, and we just we bring the motorcycles to the schools, or the kids come to the garage, and we tear down and rebuild old CB350s. And uh, it's it's been life changing for a lot of the students and for me of seeing these kids come back to class like the next week talking about something in their house that they now feel confident to fix whether it be a doorknob or you know a, a broken radio or it doesn't even matter what it is the fact that they now feel confident enough to try and fix the broken things in their world is huge
0: that's awesome um how many schools are you partnering with at this point
1: well, now because of COVID, we're down to only a couple. Mm-hmm. Uh, but before COVID hit, we were we were we think we had six programs.
0: Okay, yeah, that was actually going to be one of my questions for you. How has pandemic affected your business for uh, Skidmark and for MotoGo? I'm sure for MotoGo, it's you know with the schools, you know, trying to be distancing, and then also with. Uh, you know, the social distancing uh, guidelines, you know, from DeWine, I'm sure Skidmark's been affected as well. But what are you guys doing to try to, you know, keep it going despite?
1: So for Skidmark, it's, you know, masks are required. And we try to, you know, we suggest and try to enforce social distancing, but that's pretty difficult to enforce. Uh, But so far since the reopening or the soft gradual reopening and it hasn't even been public it's just been for the members a lot of them are still kind of scared to come back in uh some of them lost their jobs and had to pick up their bike and leave um so it's not been packed it has we haven't been back to the way it was before when there'd be 10 to 20 people working at the same time and everybody hanging out and helping each other now we're slowly growing to now there's maybe four or five people at once and they're working in separate corners of the garage. And it's, you know, I've got sanitizer and spray bottles all over the place and lots of signage reminding people to keep your distance and wear the masks. And it sucks. It really sucks. Cause as much as, you know, I wear a mask all the time and it's hot and that garage is boiling. That garage is hot no matter what, and wearing a mask makes it almost unbearable, but so far so good. And then MotoGo, we quickly made a little pivot, and I grabbed 10 CB350 engines and got them prepped, and we purchased five sets of tools and toolboxes, and we delivered those engines and the tools, the five kids in the city. Mm -hmm. And then every Saturday we met for two hours for six Saturdays in a row. And Mm -hmm. we met on zoom and we just, I walked them through taking the whole engine apart Mm -hmm. and replacing all the gaskets and putting it back together and explaining how it worked along the way. And so I set up a little studio in my attic that you can see behind me here. Uh, And I, I, a bunch of ipads and phones hanging from the ceiling so they could see the different views and angles and we worked through rebuilding the engine and then when that was done i drove around and picked all the tools back up and picked the engines back up and now they're back in the garage waiting to be prepped for the next group and and then another thing we did was we started uh sending out these model like build your own V8 engine model kits.
0: Yeah, I saw that on your Instagram. It was pretty cool.
1: Yeah, that's been a much easier, less labor intensive, doesn't weigh 150 pounds type of thing. So that's much easier to deliver. And we're doing that about eight students a week. We'll meet every day for two hours. And we call it like engine build summer camp type of thing. And, it's the same thing. I I set up, put my phone up on a tripod and, and then the kids basically see my hands building the model and we go step by step through the whole thing. And I show them supplemental videos on what an actual crankshaft looks like. And then I've got some motorcycle parts here that I show them and say, here's the piston and wrist pin that you just built or you put together. Here's a real one. So you can see, it looks exactly like the model. And in the end, you know, you put three batteries in that model and, it's a V8 engine, you see the pistons move and the spark plugs light up and the fans moving and it's making noise and it's really cool and most of the kids are between like 6th mm-hmm. grade and maybe 10th or 11th grade and they really get a, you know, they get a lot of joy out of it in the end. And they struggle with it. There's some difficult parts to put together and in the end it's awesome and the kids love it and they get to keep it and uh, yeah, it's 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 a pretty cool experience. We just got done working with eight refugees from Refugee Response, and I had eight kids in all different age groups and different uh, English language abilities. And that was really interesting and, and different and difficult to try and do things with a language barrier and get them to build these things. And it was really fun.
0: That's awesome. It's really cool. I was, yeah, I saw on your Instagram that you had, we're working with refugee folks, and uh, it's really cool to get to, you know, open them up to different things like that they would never experience. Um, I've worked at, you know, nonprofits my, basically my whole adult life. And, uh, you know, people are willing to learn and they they want to try new stuff. You just got to open up their eyes to the different possibilities and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so how does one get into starting a Skidmark Garage and Moto Go? Like, what what got you in love with motorcycles and in love with tinkering and building, like were you, you know, was you, were you out in there with your grandfather, your dad, like who really sparked that passion for you? Uh,
1: My dad was always a pretty good DIY dude. He built a bar in the basement. He built an, uh, you know, enclosed patio on the house when I was a kid. So I always saw him working with stuff and he had a little tool room in the basement that I could go down there and play around with tools and, he he didn't spend a lot of time working on cars or engines and he despised that kind of stuff he, would, he liked building with wood uh, but he wasn't a woodworker he was an accountant and he'd never really spent a huge amount of time showing me how to do things so I can't say that that he taught me or really inspired me but because he was so into it I was constantly around it and so it was very normal for me. Uh, it wasn't until I moved to Los Angeles and I had an old Volkswagen bus that constantly broke down. And I had a roommate that he had the like confidence that if you can take it apart, you can put it back together. And that was such a foreign idea to me. I was so terrified of taking something apart and breaking something. But I kind of just helped him with a couple projects. And then I found out he was right. You can take it apart, especially if you have a manual. You can put it back together. So uh, my mechanic that I was paying to do the work, he felt bad for me for always spending my money with him. He started lending me tools and telling me how to do things. And I took the engine out of my Volkswagen and replaced it and put it all back together. And when that thing started up, it was a complete life changer. I – I've – that was like the first time in my life where I actually felt like I learned something, you know, in high school, it was always memorizing.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. And so when that thing fired up immediately, my life changed and I wanted to learn everything I possibly could about everything in the world. And I went back to college that I had previously flunked out of and I got straight A's and everything I took. And all I wanted to do was learn because all of a sudden learning wasn't just sitting in a classroom, memorizing, it was, was using my hands and it opened up the whole world so when that happened that set me on a different trajectory and I came up with the idea for the DIY garage back in the 90s when I was living in Los Angeles but I was in my 20s and had no money so I had to wait quite a while before I could open it up uh, but that was the main inspiration was that Volkswagen bus and and my roommate and, and then when I was Teaching here at St. Martin de Porres, I brought some motorcycles to school for one week, and I tried to teach kids how to take apart motorcycles and put them together, and that's when I realized that there was there was zero previous experience. They didn't have that same experience where I did as a kid with always having access to tools just to touch and look at. There was none of that. So they were years behind where I feel like they should have been, and that was a, a big inspiration for starting MotoGo.
0: Very cool, very cool. Do you have a favorite type of uh, motorcycle? I mean, Harley, Honda, Triumph, uh, Indian, anything? that? Um,
1: I think all the bikes that I own are all old Hondas, but none of them really run, and I don't have time to fix them. So my favorite kind of motorcycle right now is one that runs.
0: (laughs) Is there an easier... Easier model to work on than others, uh, Harley or Honda or.
1: Um, the only Honda. ones I have experience working on are old Hondas, and generally a 350 or a 750 are the only two models I have experience with. But uh, it doesn't matter to me. I'll, if I own it, I, I'd love to ride it. I don't like riding other people's bikes because I feel like I'm going to break them. So. I honestly, I didn't get into motorcycles until I was thirty. Yeah, my parents were absolutely anti-motorcycles. My whole life, it was never even an option. I never thought about getting one. And then, uh, when I was in Los Angeles, I got to ride one for a minute, and I thought that was pretty cool. And then I moved back home, and I saw an old Honda for sale on the side of the road, and I bought it on a whim, and that started the whole different thing. You know, it was.
0: That, that was it. That's all it took. So I was doing a little bit of research, and you had, you had a TV show for a little bit, huh? Yeah. Yeah, there was a, a,
1: a really crappy TV show for a minute on the Esquire Network. And as soon as it was done airing, all whopping six episodes, the entire network went under. So nobody's ever seen it. And uh, I wouldn't say it's even worth watching. But it was pretty cool to meet all these famous builders, like that I didn't even know existed. That was pretty rad.
0: And that was wrench against the machine.
1: It was indeed wrench against the machine.
0: So, what was the, the kind of premise of that show? Since we'll never be able to watch it, we definitely—I'm sure—is <laughs> there anything on YouTube? Anything? Any ways people can find it?
1: Uh, I have no idea. I know that a couple of years ago, maybe. maybe a year ago or two years ago it was on it was a choice on an air on on a um i was on a flight going i think to los angeles and one of the things you could watch was that and i i don't understand how or why but it was there i don't know where you could find it these days uh I haven't looked.
0: Is that and, something you actively tried to get out there and, and create a TV show? Or is that something you would do again? Um, did they find you?
1: Some, I would do it again, but I didn't actively try to do it. There was a guy I graduated from high school with that was working for a production company, and he heard about the show, or he heard about my garage, and he was like, dude, that's such a bizarre concept. It sounds like it'd be full of total weirdos, and I think there's a TV show in there somewhere. We just got to figure out what it is. And the original idea was kind of documenting the strangers that come in and the weird things they're doing and the interactions, because that's entertaining enough. But then once once the idea was purchased by the Esquire Network, they changed it into a, a competition show between two teams, you know, getting 72 hours to take a piece of junk and turn it into something cool and and that was actually real. you know um, reality shows I found out are because I don't really watch TV I don't own a TV or I don't own like a television to watch shows. I just recently got Netflix but I definitely steer clear of reality shows. So there the reality was they were literally given 72 hours to transform a bike and now some of the dudes stayed awake for 72 hours straight and they were hallucinating at the end uh they some the, the cool thing was was some teams didn't finish they failed the build uh one bike caught on fire one bike they were welding and it zapped the whole electrical system and destroyed it so and they showed that stuff and that was pretty cool because they didn't do those Well, there was a power failure at 11.59, and then each team had an extra four hours to finish the job. There was none of that bullshit. That part was real. My part was kind of the host, and my lines were all scripted, and I was supposed to be kind of an actor, and so that part blew because I didn't get to interact with the teams as myself. I had to be this persona, and that kind of sucked, but behind the scenes it was really cool getting to know uh, all these builders that I had no idea who they were to begin with so that was that was kind of neat and the shows were eh, they were what they were
0: so does any of that kind of carry over to your current life like do you ever have like people just bring in a a bike that doesn't run at all and they're able to throw it together in a, a quick amount of time that you're just like, wow, how did that happen? Like you literally brought in something that I would have never thought you could ride to like getting it up and running. Uh,
1: That, that happens fairly often, but it's, it's never that quick. It's usually a month or two months, you know, and, and even then that's coming in. That's that person coming into the garage almost every day for a couple hours a day and really working their ass off to get something legit done.
0: Um, I had a question for you. What What is one thing that your program has done for one of your clients or, you know, somebody who, you know, comes to your DIY garage and, and provides them that you didn't expect? It could be one of your students. It could be a, one of your customers. Like, what's one thing that? has happened or become of of their situation that you didn't really anticipate happening. Uh,
1: I guess the one thing that I wasn't expecting I wasn't expecting the culture of the garage and the community to be so strong and because that culture and community is so strong and so positive I didn't foresee things like very close-minded people opening up their being willing to open up their experience to working with, with people that they have no experience with, you know, like uh, we have a decent amount of black members that a lot of the white members were not used to working side by side with. And there's a decent amount of gay members. You've got a trans woman and, these working with these people makes everyone else understand that everyone's just a human just like everybody else and they just want to work on a motorcycle just like everybody else in the garage and i i try to dissuade people from talking politics in the garage cuz that really ruins things mm-hmm. and without that politics Subject being talked about all the time. Everyone is just a human to everyone else and everyone sees each other's strengths and weaknesses and helps each other out and the friendships that have been born out of the garage are unbelievable. And there's been, you know, romantic relationships that have happened with some of the girls that have come into the garage. Uh, Yeah, just lots of... I guess the one thing I didn't expect is... The the deep friendships that a lot of people are getting out of the community.
0: I'm sure that restores your faith in humanity, especially with everything going on yeah. right now. Uh, it totally you know, does. It's it's I guess motorcycles, and I never thought about it that way. You know, it could be like food. It's one of those things that it's a universal thing. You don't have to, uh, you know, have a backstory. You could just come there and and just grab a wrench and, and work on things. You don't have to necessarily have grown up or gotten along with people who've done it you you know it's that's really cool so what do you think makes cleveland a great community for diyers and motorcycle builders have you uh you know have you gotten to go to around to any of the other community garages around the country and kind of see what theirs are like and what makes it different than than theirs
1: i have i kind of started a little network of community garages i was When I first opened, it was quite the struggle. And I thought, man, if I can talk to the other garages, if we can all talk to each other, we can all help each other out. And I found out there was only a couple more. And since then, a bunch has opened and a lot have gone out of business. There's probably 40. And so I built this little network where we can talk to each other and I've made a point to visit as many as I can. And uh, I think Cleveland is in. A unique space for the success of a DIY garage. In fact, I believe there could be another in Cleveland that is not mine, and we both would be successful. In fact, it would be fantastic if there was another, because the more people that are aware of a community garage, the more that you know the rising tide is going to lift all the boats. There's more than enough riders to support two community garages in Cleveland, and the fact that most people in Anyone that's grown up in Cleveland and has family roots in Cleveland can find someone in their family that worked with their hands and made a living working with their hands. And that kind of tradition of working with your hands, I don't think that exists in every city, in every major city in this country. It's crazy growing up here and seeing all the factories and the warehouses and hearing about all the steel workers and everybody working with your hands, you assume that that exists in every major city across the country. And then once you make a couple road trips and you go to other major cities and you don't see the same factories and you don't see the same steel mills, you start to realize that tons of stuff is made in Cleveland and goes to all these other cities. And so there's a tradition of being willing to fix things yourself in Cleveland that is pretty damn strong and maybe not as strong in all the other major cities in the country where the community garages exist and I think that is a pretty big reason why Skidmark is doing is still alive and the fact that Ohio has an absolute ton of motorcycle riders is huge we, I think Ohio is ranked third or fourth in the country as far as motorcycle riders. So we've got a pretty decent market and Cleveland has, and it, you know, there's just a million riders in Cleveland. And so I, I feel like I got pretty lucky. I could have been anywhere when I started this thing, or I could have decided to move and start it in any other city. And I would have really been handcuffing myself because most cities don't have tons of empty warehouses, because I've got pretty cheap rent, Uh, and most cities don't have a huge riding population, and most cities don't have a a tradition of working with your hands, and we've got all three of those in Cleveland, and it's really been a benefit.
0: That's awesome. So, you know, I know you're a for-profit, so you do charge a monthly fee, but do you do fundraising? Do you do Um, Any marketing to try to find donors to to keep the programs running? Um, What do you do? Uh, I mean, is MotoGo a nonprofit and Skidmark is the for-profit arm of it? That is
1: exactly correct. Skidmark is for, MotoGo is non. We've found quite a bit of donors and uh, uh, foundations that are helping the nonprofit. That's been incredibly and surprisingly easy to find people to support it. People in the city love what we are doing, and they are just whipping money at us, sometimes without even asking. Uh, The for-profit, I can't really... It's harder to ask for donations for a for-profit, obviously, but I'm finding that I would say every two months, a random guy walks into the garage with a... Pickup truck load of tools, and says, "Hey, I heard about this place through a friend who had a friend that was a member here a couple of years ago, and uh, these are my grandfather's tools, and they've been sitting in my dad's house, and no one's going to use them. And rather than sell them at a garage sale, I'd rather they get put to good use." And he just drops off a thousand dollars worth of tools, and that happens a lot. We had a, a full mill donated, a lathe donated, a press donated, a welding table, just tons of crazy, awesome stuff. And, and then, you know, when it comes time for – when times get tough at the garage as far as paying my bills go, there's several members that love the place so much that they're – as soon as they see me getting stressed out about something and they sit down and talk and they find out that money is an issue – someone always comes in and says well let me prepay for a year even though my membership i still have months and months to go i'll prepay right now for that year because that'll help you out so the the uh the community is so strong that i don't think they would let me go under
0: that's that's great i mean they have the buy-in and the community feeling of that is awesome um so i guess Following up on that for your nonprofit, if you had an extra ten thousand dollars in your budget, how would you spend it, and why? Would there be any new programs you would create, or would you uh, expand upon your current programs?
1: If we had an extra ten grand, I think I would expand upon the CB three hundred and fifty engine build class. That was so meaningful to those kids, but it's expensive to run, and and I think I would like to buy, I had 10 grand, I think I would make sure that I could secure like another 20 of those engines and I would figure out a way to crate them and ship them so that anyone in the country could take the class and ship along with that the necessary tools to do it and figure out a way to have that shipping, let that kid crate it back up and ship it back to me when it's done. I, I, think, I think having these kids set up in their garages and their basements and their kitchens with this actual engine on a stand working on it. And sometimes their dad would help or their mom would help or a brother or sister. And that just builds more bonding between the family members and the struggles. There were some serious struggles and some kids took hours longer to do things than other kids. And uh, it, it was huge. Unfortunately at the end, you can't start it up because it's just an engine, but the fact that they could spin it around and see the Pistons moving and they got it all together, those kids were super proud, took tons of pictures, posted pictures. I heard from their parents. Their parents were so jazzed and couldn't believe that an online learning class was so interactive. I and mean, It was so positive. I'd spend the entire ten grand on doing that.
0: That's great. I, I did see you guys had some scholarships available, and you did award scholarships to some people to be able to do that kind of stuff. That's really cool. Okay. Yeah,
1: the Human Foundation gave us ten grand to do it. That's really so cool. we we just like basically paid for a ton of kids to take the class.
0: Have you gotten any donors that you were like, why? Where did you come from? Like, I wasn't I wasn't expecting you know that kind of company to come out of nowhere and donate. Uh,
1: yeah, actually, we got over on the far west side is Bendix. Mm-hmm. They make. Uh, brakes for like 18 wheelers they've got a huge production facility out there and one of the members of the garage works for Bendix which was a coincidence and uh, we somehow got in touch with Bendix and they they just fell in love with the program and they have really really stepped up and are supporting us in a gigantic way And the fact that one of their employees is a member of the garage has really strengthened that relationship. And so he's an electrical engineer, so he teaches the kids how to work on the electrical parts of the bike. They have been really great. And Dan T. Moore, who, you know, Wendy Park and the Metro Parks, Dan T. Moore is an absolute angel, and he has stepped up in any way that he he never blinks. All he wants to do is support the garage and he wants to support MotoGo and the garage. He is such a great dude. There's been a lot of guys that have really stepped up that are private donors and a lot of corporations that have stepped up and a lot of foundations. We've been really, really lucky. And my wife, Molly, is the one who is the executive director and she is a great fundraiser and a great, like, just formed perfect relationships with all these people and they all fall in love with her. And once they do, they're just dying to support us.
0: And you have a yearly fundraiser?
1: We do. I don't know if we're going to be able to pull it off this coming February like we have the last two, but uh, we we did have a fundraiser. Our first one was in uh, 19. And then we had one in 20. I don't know if we're going to be able to have one in 21. But the fundraisers have been cool. Lincoln Electric was a big sponsor and Dan Moore and, they were very interactive. We had like the the uh, virtual welding setup that Lincoln brought in, and we were teaching people how to plasma cut, and it was pretty cool. We the uh, it was a very different fundraiser. It wasn't the stuffy uh, auction of rich old white dudes raising their paddles, and it was pretty cool. It was a different experience.
0: So, going back to the question about expanding programs, do you have any uh, programs that you're thinking about? implementing it at any point that you haven't done yet? Uh, Any fabrication or anything like actually body-wise or is it all just going to be, you know, putting together engines and and learning how to, how to function a a machine?
1: Well, MotoGo, it's going to, you know, we've talked about somewhere down the line having a class that, Teaches students how to use, you know, like the English wheel and using the the hammer and the sandbag and start forming some, do some metal shaping and learn how to do some welding. That would be pretty pretty rad. But the difficulty in that is a, I'm I'm just too overwhelmed to to plan all that out. But b, we got to find the instructor that really knows how to do all that and is able to teach it to a bunch of kids. I can find a motorhead. I can find a million motorheads that know everything about these motorcycles, but to find someone that can build a great rapport with all the students of a million different backgrounds, that's the key. I'd rather find someone who doesn't know one thing about motorcycles to teach the motorcycle class. Because if they can just wake up these kids' minds to learning something cool, that teacher doesn't need to know a whole lot about the motorcycle.
0: I wasn't trying to add any more stress to your plate. I know you're already busy no. enough. but Because uh, you're there from 10 a.m. to midnight every day, right?
1: Uh, at Skidmark, that's, the hours are 10 a.m. to midnight. I used to be there every single day, 10 a.m. to midnight. Now with MotoGo and with COVID – I'm usually there in the evenings, maybe four nights a week. But there are people
0: there from like eight AM till two AM almost every single day a week. That's really cool. It is pretty Um, great. So, some kind of Cleveland-centric questions. Uh, What are your uh, favorite places to eat in Cleveland?
1: My favorite place is Felice over on Larchmere, or is it Larchmont? I'm getting it's so over on the east side of Cleveland I think it's Larchmere yeah uh police is I think the most creative tasty combinations of food and drinks that I can find in Cleveland but because it's a little bit more on the expensive side uh when I'm eating at a more affordable place I tend to gravitate towards Becky's Tavern on uh I think that's what East 18th
0: and Lorraine. Chester. Oh, Becky's, yeah, yeah, yeah. By, right back Cleveland State, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, right next to the soccer field. Yep. That that's my that's my go to for for most like if I'm going
0: to eat on the cheap and have a decent experience. Those are my two favorite places. When you do get a chance to ride, do you go anywhere in particular? Or are there any cool rides in, in Ohio or Cleveland that you're, your your go tos? Uh,
1: I haven't ridden in so long. Uh, I really enjoy riding in the Metro parks and just a perfect 32 miles an hour slow cruising. Uh, there's going to be a gigantic ride starting from the garage this Saturday that is led by a member of the garage. It's going to be like a all day ride, 200 mile riding down to Coshocton and back. Uh, I've ridden, along, I've ridden along the Ohio River from, like, Youngstown all the way to Cincinnati. That wasn't as cool as I thought it would be. Uh, the triple nickel down on, like, the southeastern part of the state is a pretty nice ride. That's pretty far to get there. Um, you know, it's... I, I kind of like... I kind of like it all. Once you get to the back roads, I don't care where it is. Uh, riding from... Campground to campground across the state has always been cool. Just looking at a map and finding something that's not stoplights and not the freeway, and no matter where it is in Ohio, it's pretty gorgeous.
0: So, when you're not at the garage all day and you're not working on new programs and MotoGo, what, what do you kind of do? What do you? What are you? Uh, what is your kind of hobbies uh, outside of building and, and?
1: Yeah, that's. Do
0: you have any? Do you have time? <laughs>
1: not anymore it's pretty much skidmark and moto go and then uh you know trying to trying to keep a happy marriage in a house that's not falling apart i i've let most hobbies fall by the wayside unfortunately haven't been able to watch i used to love watching movies i don't get to do that anymore uh i used to like reading i can't find time for that anymore I guess my, the only hobby, the thing I do that kills most of my time is playing games on my phone. I'm embarrassed to admit.
0: Hey, you know, we have plenty of time now with all this pandemic to to sit at home and just play uh, mindless games on our phone or watch mindless TV shows. So uh, I know some people have created some new hobbies. Uh, podcasting is one of mine. And uh, I know some people were baking bread and <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you find all, uh, kind of... <laughs> yeah. all kinds of different stuff to do when you're sitting at home during the pandemic.
1: Yeah. Yeah. For a minute it was uh, trying to do pushups every day and trying to go for walks every day and baking bread and redoing things in the house and gardening and all those things came and went, you know, and now I'm just back down to boring me doing video games on my phone.
0: (laughs) Cool. Well, I'm going to wrap up here. So if you want to plug your uh, Moto Go and uh, Skidmark Garage uh, handles. We can, uh, definitely direct people to go to those and check out, you know, MotoGo's, uh, you know, program and how, you know, you're getting uh, shop class back into the, the schools.
1: Yeah, cool. That'd be great. Uh, people can go to MotoGoCleveland.com and can see the different class offerings we have, the virtual classes and, and the in-school classes when school kicks back up, uh, And there's a donate button there should people feel the need to help us out. And then skidmarkgarage.com is the website that will be able to get you in touch with me, skidmarkgarage at gmail.com. And we can set up a a meeting and I can give you a tour of the garage and we can talk about membership options at that point. Uh, And then Facebook, Skidmark Garage, and, and Instagram, Skidmark Garage. And I think both have also... MotoGo Cleveland is is uh MotoGo Cleveland is the Instagram and the Facebook page also.
0: Awesome, cool. Well, people will definitely have to check those out. Thanks for coming on the show. I appreciate you. Thanks to Brian, MotoGo, and Skidmark Garage. If you're interested, please go check out their social media. They're doing really cool things here in Cleveland.